Welcome to Lakeside Church's message podcast. Our prayer is that you will fall in love with Jesus, find a church family, live in freedom, and be active in your purpose. Now let's join the message already in progress. Um, if you want to take your Bibles, we are going to turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 4, so you can get your Bibles out. Kids, if you're going with Miss um, Emmerich, you can go back there. She's taking them upstairs. Not only can she sing beautifully, but she also does a great job with the, the children. So if you want to, kids want to hang up there with her, they can. Ephesians chapter 4, and we are ending up a series this week and next week will be our last. We've been talking about character. Um, and one of the things I've said over and over is, um, number one, character is important. But number two, we don't talk about it a lot because sometimes it makes us uncomfortable. The third thing I want to make sure you know is that this is not a work. Character and, and living well is not something that can be done under your own strength. It is a work of God, a work of grant. After he rose because of the, to the right hand of the Father, um, we can be changed. It is something that he does. And so we've read of several different passages in the New Testament that talk about character. And, and some of the say, sayings are pretty hard. And we're, we're jumping into Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start on verse 17. But before we do, I'm going to open up with some prayer. Heavenly Father, it is good to be in your house. It is great to read your word. So we pray that your word would speak to us that it would come alive through the power of your Holy Spirit, that the same Spirit that inspired this word when it was written would reveal it to us, that you'd give us understanding and insight, Father God, so that we might grow and become more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're starting on verse 17, but, but obviously we're jumping in kind of the middle of a chapter here. And if you just glance up, if you have a paper Bible, it's easy. If you have your phone, it's kind of scrolling. But if you just glance up at the, the few verses that precede this, you see a few different things popping up that kind of set the stage for what we're going to talk about. One thing is it talks about in the beginning, it talks about that there's one body, one spirit. The same theme is put right there um, into verse 15 and 16 that come right before where it talks about Christ is the head of the church, the head of the body, and it talks about the whole body being gelled, to, um, being joined together and held together, um, and when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So there's this imagery of this body that Christ has where he is the head, and our, and our heads control our bodies. And so... As we go into verse 17, he's talking about, he, he laid the foundation ahead that through faith in Jesus are part of his body. And in verse 17, he says, Now I say and I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. All right, so when it says Gentiles here, obviously it's talking about non-Jewish people, but it's, it's talking about this pagan lifestyle that was very common in the world back then. And it seems like it's becoming more and more common in our world today. This lifestyle that has no room for God, that really has no room for tomorrow, that has no future and hope, and all there is is today. 
See, what happens differently when we believe in Jesus and we get this idea that we're part of the body of Christ and he's calling us to these great things and to this future hope, this inheritance, we have our eyes set on what is to come. But when you don't have that, your eyes are kind of brought down low to just what's in front of you. And this futility of mind is, is, is the type of mindset that says that really the only thing that matters is today. How can I make myself feel good today, feel happy today, meet my needs today? And, and it's futile. It's useless. It's a way of thinking that causes you to make decisions that are detrimental and deadly. And he's saying that we... And who is he talking to? I, I laid the foundation. Those of us in Christ, in his body, we must no longer walk like that as the rest of the Gentiles do. It talks about, you know, we, we, we shouldn't have a futility in our mind or a or, or uselessness in our mind. We, we should have the mind of Christ. Right? Because he's the head. So where does the mind come from? Your mind is in your head in case you didn't know. And if he is the head, then it's his mind, his outlook, his, his way of thinking that should guide us and not a futile way. In verse 18, in, um, verse 18, it says, they are darkened in their understanding due to the hardness of their heart. Why is their heart understanding dark? Because they've shut out Christ, who's the light of the world. And it's this idea of this darkened mind, this mind that doesn't understand reality, but thinks they do. See, people make their decisions, and they think they're making the best decisions for them. And when you don't have Christ, you're missing a big part of the equation of life. And if you don't have his light, then you really don't see things for what they really are. Then it talks about this being alienated being separated, being, being alien to the life of God. See, in Christ, we're not alienated. We shouldn't be dead. We should be alive. We should be full. We should, we should have life flowing through us. As we were praying this morning, I was praying for the church, and I was, I was, I was thinking about, you know, God, just bring us life. Bring us, bring us life. Let us be alive with the life that Christ has. And I was, I was thinking about Christ's body in the tomb. How at one point it didn't have life. But then the Spirit of God brought him back to life. And I don't know what it was, whether it was the heartbeat first or, or whether he took a gasp of air or his eyes opened. I don't know what had happened, but I just, this dead body that, that wasn't alive, all of a sudden now it is because life has entered. And in Christ, that's what we're called to be. We're not alienated. We're not separated. We, we get real life, not the life they're trying to sell you on Instagram. All right? It's not. It's not that life. Um, we watched a terrible show, the, the Tinder Swindler. All right, if you haven't heard that, you watch that. Don't watch it with kids. But it was about this guy who basically meals and Bentleys and Ferraris, and he would pay all this stuff, but he really didn't pay. He was ripping somebody off. And then he would get them to give him money, and he would take hundreds of thousands of dollars from these women, and he would, he would live this, this life that was full of clubs and beaches in the Mediterranean and the fanciest places in Europe. And, 
But it was empty. It was a lie. That does not satisfy. If it did, the people that lived those lives would be happier than we are. And they're not. They're just as miserable as anybody else. They're just miserable in a fancier place. But not for us, because we're not alienated from the life of God. We've received it in Christ by being a part of his body. And it says that because of the ignorance that is in them, this ignorance, this idea that that you don't know what you're supposed to know, and it says due to the hardness of their heart. If I can challenge you or I can remind you or encourage you about anything is, is don't, as much as it depends on you, don't let your heart grow calloused and hard. When you grow a callus, what happens? Well, it comes from a lot of rubbing and scraping, and then all of a sudden you get some dead skin, and it starts to pile up until you have this layer of deadness on some part of your body. You might have them on your feet or or on your hands, but, but you get these calluses, and it's just a bunch of deadness that keeps you from really feeling. Now, in some sense, that's good, because when you have some calluses, you can't feel the pain, but you, you also can't really feel what's really there. And God doesn't want our heart to be that way. And what happens is, is when, we, when we walk like they do, and if we think like they do, verse 17, and we're alienated from the life of God, we get this deadness, and it kind of protects us. It might be a hardness. It might be a little bit of, uh, you know, self-reliance or a little something. But really, it's verse 19, it says, they become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. They're, they're callous, right? There's this deadness they can't feel, but they desire to feel. Without Christ, you're dead. You can't feel, but you desire. You desire love, so you look in the wrong ways in the wrong places. You desire joy, so you try to, try to do something that's going to bring you some joy, even if it's for a few minutes. Why do you think people are hooked on these drugs and hooked on, on these different things that are out there? Is that they want to feel something. They want to feel alive, but you're dead without Christ. Giving themselves up to sensuality, what can we do to make ourselves alive? Nothing outside of Christ. And it says they greedy to practice every kind of impurity. If you, if you were to take a snapshot of what was acceptable in society 70 years ago, and then one from 60 years ago, and then one from 50, and then down to 20 and 10, if you were just to look, whether it's a picture out of a magazine or, or a show on TV that was a family show, or if you had all these things, you would notice that as people have grown farther alienated from the life of God, they've sought more and more things to please themselves. But because they're ignorant, they're going the wrong way. And the heart's getting more callous, so they have to reach out for more, every kind of impurity. But that can't be us. Verse 20, he he makes it very clear. He says, but that is not the way you learn. And I want you to hear this. He says, 
verse 20, but that's not the way you learned Christ, verse 21, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught about him as the truth as in Jesus. So it's assuming that you've heard. It's assuming that you've heard that, that Christ was the fullness of the expression of God. God himself among men came and, and lived life a completely different way than anyone else. He lived well. He didn't allow bitterness or, or sensuality or greed or anything to capture his mind, but he found his joy in being obedient to God. He was so obedient to God that he even, he even went to the cross and count his own life as nothing. You see, he realized that his pleasure didn't come from taking care of his body. His pleasure and his joy and his hope came from following Christ obediently. Did you learn that? Were you ever taught that? Did you realize that that's what he's calling you to? I assume so. In verse 22, it says, you were taught the truth in Jesus, verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life, and it is corrupt through deceitful desires. Do you put off your old self? Have, have you put it off? That's an interesting terminology, this idea that you're, you're putting it away. That's what baptism points us to. It's this idea that you go down into the water, your old life is going down, and that life should stay there. But what comes up is something new, something given by Christ, a life in him. It says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and it is corrupt. It is corrupt. You know, I have, a, I have a little Leatherman tool that I've had for, I don't know, 20-something years. It's the most useful thing I have. I use it all the time. And o over the years, there's been a few times, maybe three or four, that I've noticed some rust. In fact, it was like maybe two weeks ago. A little bit of rust starting to get in some parts. I had a choice. I could let that rust sit there, which was easy, and say, oh, it's just a little bit put it back in the case, put it away, and deal with it later. But because I put it that tool, and I realized I scrubbed off the rust, and I soaked it a little bit, and scrubbed it off, and soaked it, and it was just some little spots. But that's how corruption gets into our lives, is we allow these little spots that we're going to deal with later that aren't a big deal, but that's, that's deceitful. Because the corruption grows until it takes over. And verse 23, so not only are you putting off your old self, but you're be, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. In other words, your mind is often what needs to be removed, renewed. It's often where the corruption starts. It's often where... You start to think improperly and, and make the wrong choices, and then the wrong choices lead to even more wrong choices, and then now there's a little bit of deadness there, and so now you want something to feel alive, and so you go after something that you know you shouldn't, but it makes you feel good for a minute, and it does. It does feel good, but it also died. Something else died inside, and so you don't, that much isn't going to work, and you got to get a little bit more or a little something new, and what he's saying is, be renewed. 
Allow the Spirit of God to renew your mind. Allow the mind of Christ to take control and and work out every bit of corruption. And in verse 24, it says to put on the new self. This is amazing. To put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This new self. See, that's the wonderful thing about the Gospels. It's not just about the old newness, this, the, but it's about a new coming. It's, it's about this newness, this, this, this new way of thinking, this new way of loving, this, this new heart that's not callous, that can actually have true righteousness. But do you ever see yourself as, as being created after the likeness of God? Now, you might say, oh, yes, I am because Adam was created in the image of God and, and I look like Adam and so therefore I am. But there's, you know, there's this other creation, this new creation the Bible talks about where we get to be created brand new. And that's what we were praying about this morning is one of the things I was praying is that, that God's new creative power would just take root in you, take root in me and, and form us into Jesus' image into to where we are after the likeness of God. And I love how it says, in true righteousness and holiness. Because there's some people that they never get rid of the deadness, they never put off the old self, and then they try to put on the new self. And what happens is that's a false righteousness. That's a, I'm better than you, you're a piece of garbage, but I'm awesome. If you just did what I did, you'd be cool too. Or a true holiness where it's, it's not that you're separating yourself from sin, but you're beginning to separate yourself from people, and I can't be around that person or even talk to that person, or, or all this, 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 this fake holiness, this fake righteousness. But when we don't have the real thing, we can go to that. And we can look righteous on the outside when the inside's really dead. So now he's going to get into some of the character traits. Verse 25 This is stuff that we should do, ways that we should live. Therefore, having put away falsehood, put away all the lies the enemy has fed you your whole life. Put away all the lies you told yourself your whole life. Let each of you speak truth with his neighbor. Speaking the truth. Man, that is hard to do. That's scary. Sometimes we don't want to speak the truth to our neighbor but where we can speak the truth about ourselves, our struggles, where we need God's grace, where we need, where we've identified corruption. Do you know how powerful it would be if somebody in this room really thought about their life today and they they went up and they found a brother and they found a sister and they said, hey, pray for me. What what are you talking about? I've been angry. I don't want to live in that. Or I've got this hurt this pain, and I, it's keeping me from loving God. and it's, Or maybe I'm just dead on the inside. I don't know. But if you speak the truth with your neighbor, James tells us, you confess your faults one to another, pray for each other so that you will be healed. Speak the truth. We're members of one another. You, you can't lie to each other. If, if the body was lying to each other, the body would be real messed up. If your foot was telling you, if your eyes said, hey, there's not a step there, and your foot went down, and there was a step, 
you're going to pay for it. You've got to speak the truth, the truth about Christ, the truth about yourself. Verse 26, he says, be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. I love that because there's sometimes that we do get angry, right? Something happens, we get wronged. Sometimes it might just actually be a wrong that somebody did to us, but sometimes we get angry because we're thinking about the situation wrong. We're thinking about the person's intentions wrong, but, but it says, be angry, but don't sin. Y'all, some of y'all need to figure out how to do that second part. Some of us have the be angry part down really well. We're like, Lord, I could do that. Be angry, amen. But the second part where he says, that may just mean you're like, why aren't you saying something? Nothing good's going to come out right now. Why aren't you doing anything? No action is going to be right right now. It says, do not sin. And, and, and for you young people in here and, and for everybody, but the second part, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Man, if, if, if we really learn to live that way, if you really learn to deal with those situations before the sun went down, the clock is ticking. Like, if you're angry, figure it out. And, and really this call to not let the sun go down is it's, it's don't put it off. Don't let just a little rust be there because when you wake up tomorrow, it's going to be more. There's going to be more to deal with in yourself. There's, the other person is probably going to have other things to deal with. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And he says, and then give no opportunity to the devil. Verse 27. Give no opportunity to the devil. See, there's, this is written to poo, people that are in Christ, that are growing up into the head, the fullness of him. But there's something that happens, and I can't explain it, but I can give you some scripture. There's a scripture that says, hey, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. Jesus said that, not me. I'm Sometimes maybe we can be there, but there's this idea that when we allow, allow these negative feelings and these negative emotions, that somehow we give an opportunity to the devil. Somehow he recognized that. Now, I'm not even trying to make it like this big spiritual thing, but, but the devil, and he probably can knows why you're angry if he was there, and he'll say, all right, let's do this. And now you're twice as angry. And the other person's twice as angry. Don't give them any opportunity. Have you thought about your life like that? That the decisions you make can at times give opportunity to the devil? Going to bed angry, dealing, not dealing with things that need to be dealt with, it seems like it gives a place. But that's not what God wants. And he's warning us and encouraging us. Verse 28. I love this verse. Let the thief steal no longer, but rather let him labor. This is for the Tindler swindler right there. Don't steal any longer. Get a real job. Isn't it cool the Bible says that? But it says let him labor 
doing honest work with his own hands. Man, if you're doing things dishonestly, it's not going to be good for your soul. If you're, if you're selling a product that you know is bad, I would stop that. Do honest work with his own hands, but look at the end, so that he may be able to have something to share with anyone in need. Have you approached your work that way? That your work is not just to pay your bills. Think about your work is not just for your bills. The idea is, is that your work gives you an abundance, and some of that abundance is to share. Now, you might say, oh, are you talking about giving to the church? Let's just talk about giving to your family. Let's talk about helping somebody in need, buying somebody a pair of tires that might need them, helping somebody fix their car. That Jonathan said, amen. If you're looking to do that, he'll take some tires over here. But, but this idea of, of this generosity, need and not want, but our labor, our time, is supposed to be spent in such a way that we, our lives are a blessing to others. So I want you to think about your paycheck that way. Have you decided to live that way? To give to those in need? Verse 29, it says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. There's a lot in this verse. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. You can't control what you hear, but you can control what you say. Don't let it come out. Like Don't, don't speak things that are going to be impacting other people. In other words, I wake up, I see me and Kevin are hanging out, I could tell that he's mad at Jonathan. He is kind of a jerk. He just asked for tires. Who does that? I'm feeding into it. But you can feed into corruption any a million different ways. A million different ways. It says, don't let this come out of your mouth but only such that is good for building up. Have you thought about your words that way? That the words that you have are good for building people up. Build your spouse up. Build your kids up. Build your cousins, your neighbors, the people at church. Build them up. And I love how it says, as fits the occasion. Some things are good to say, but it's not the right time. So you may think you're building people up, but make sure it fits the occasion. It might not be time to say that thing. And if you, if you know the word, and if you're sensitive to his spirit, then you'll be able to say. And sometimes it might just be, man, I understand, that sounds terrible. I, I feel for you. I, I can't imagine going through that. But that you're building it up, because it says that it may give grace to those who hear. Have you thought about your words that way? That not only do they build people up, but that they can be words that give grace. The reason we don't want to speak corrupting words is because we have a purpose for this mouth. God made us uniquely and wonderfully. 
And the idea that we can speak words that, that bring grace to people, that give grace to those who hear. Not everyone will hear what we say, but there are times that we'll speak and people will hear and it will be life to them because we'll be pointing them to Jesus. Verse 30. It says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Isn't that an interesting verb? An interesting action? That the word grieving, that, that we can grieve. He wouldn't say, don't grieve the Spirit of God if it wasn't possible. But there's this idea that in Christ we are new and his spirit is within us and we're walking with the spirit of God in us, working in us, and, and at sometimes he'll grieve over us. He sees what we're doing. He, he knows what we're thinking. He sees, like, he sees where we're taking ourselves. He sees the corruption that we're allowing and what it's doing to us or, or doing to our families. And, and I want you to picture that there are times that the spirit of God is grieved deeply. You might say, well, have I ever grieved the Spirit of God? Ask him. That, that he's allowed us to, to, to grieve the Spirit of God. And it says, by whom you were sealed. So there's this idea. That's all right. I'm not sinning. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm not mad at all either. It says, and do not grieve the Spirit of God by whom you were sealed. This idea that, that something is sealed and it's, it's just covered in such a way that, that nothing gets in. This sealing, this, this idea that the Spirit of God is, is supposed to seal us and to keep us and to preserve us. It says, for the day of redemption. So the sealing's supposed to last. It's not just something that is good for today, but it, it keeps us all the way until the return of Christ. Verse 31, it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. He listed a lot of things there. Bitterness. Bitterness is, is, is bad for you. If you're walking around with that bitter beer face, just figure out how to deal with that. And you might need grace. You might need to talk with somebody. You might need counseling. You might need prayer. I don't know, but I know that this is bad for you. And you need to put it away. Wrath. Wrath. Some, I mean, sometimes wrath, just, doesn't it feel good thinking about all the things you would do to somebody? All right, I'm not, it's dead. It's not good for you. But for a few minutes, if you think about like somebody cuts you off and you're like, if I had a handful of pennies and I could just cut them off and no, that's wrong. That's just me. But this idea of wrath and anger and clamor and slander. Do we slander people? Do, do we allow the words of our mouth to speak that way? To slander. Put them away from you along with all malice. 
Verse 32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted. See how he's bringing it around from this calloused hard heart to somebody that is tender-hearted? Forgiving one another, another. Here's the key, as Christ forgave you. Be kind to one another, as Christ is kind to you. Love one another, as Christ loves you. All those things that, that he calls us to do, be tender-hearted to each other, the same way Christ is tender to you. Isn't it amazing that you can really mess up? You can do something terrible and, and make some horrible decisions, and you come to God, and he's never like, you know, just give me a minute. Dude, you, you really messed up. Give me a minute. I'm going to forgive you. I have to. It's in my nature but I don't want to talk to you right now. No. God never does that. He's tender-hearted to you. Forgiving one another. Now, that sounds great, but that's a hard calling. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Think of all the things we've done to God and he's wiped away. Are we willing to forgive each other that much? Or do we want to offer a teeny bit? Enough to say we're doing this. But this idea of forgiving one another. Verse, chapter 5, verse 1. We're going to read two more verses. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. So that's what he's talking about. Forgiving one another as Christ forgave you, but servant but as a child, be like you, no matter what it is, if you notice and you're like, you're like, that's pretty cool. I mean, the good stuff, not the bad stuff, all right? But, but when you notice like the good stuff in them and you're like, oh, that is so awesome. And, and, and they're doing it from a place of love or they, they want to dress like you. I mean, when they're little, when they get older, they're lost. But when they're little, <laughs> I'm, it's a joke. My kids are great. All right. That was a completely joke. But as they get, as they get, they're little and they, they act like you, like that's being an imitator of God. You know, my sister used to say, my dad's a doctor. My sister used to say, I'm a doctor. She wasn't a doctor. But she was imitating. It's precious. Be imitators of God. Treat people the way God treats people. Verse 2, it says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. See, this is the calling. If, if you did this, all the other stuff would take care of itself because you're not going to sin when you're angry and you're not going to let corrupt words come out of your mouth and you're, you're going to be honest and you're not going to steal. And when you work hard with your own hands at an honest job, you're going to make sure that you have enough to share because isn't that exactly how Christ was? It says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Who are you giving yourself up for? Like giving yourself up, laying down your choices, your desires. Like when was the last time you could do something, but you did something else? 
Not because you had to, Jesus to love us. He's, he's chosen to save us in Christ. But do we give ourselves up for your spouse? Sometimes that's where you need to start, for your children, for your people in your church family, for your people at work. Do you live in a way that you've given yourself up? Because that's how Christ did, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Isn't it interesting how smells can impact us? Have you ever been around somebody and they smell good? It's just like, man, not in any kind of weird way, but like there's sometimes people walk in the room and they're like, you're like, ooh, hey. And you take a step back. And then there's other times that people just bring this fragrance, this aroma, and you're like, you know, my wife, she smells good. Thank God she smells good, but she smells good. It's this sense of, of, of presence that, you know, she doesn't even get to the room sometimes. And I, and I can begin to, oh, man, she smells good. Or she leaves the room and her fragrance hangs there. And it's this idea, are we loving people so well that, that when we leave, there's like a spiritual smell in the air? Like, man, that was, that's a nice person. I can't believe they, they did that. I can't believe that they live that way. A fragrant aroma and a sacrifice to God. It's talking about in, in the Old Testament when they would, sheep or whatever it was. And you got to think about it. Like, when do we sit around burning meat? Like at a barbecue, right? Doesn't that smell good? So like when you, go, when you picture going to the temple and they had all the incense and all those other things, but there was also this aroma. You're like burning meat that, for whatever reason, it smells really good. And if you walk by the right barbecue, you're like, I'm hungry. <laughs> and if you lay yourself down on the altar of Christ and allow your flesh to be burnt and allow yourself to be given up, it's amazing how many people will be hungry for him just smells good. It's an offering, and it's a sacrifice. Now, I don't want to put any burdens on you. I don't want to make you think you can do this on your own. This is a work of the Spirit of God, by the grace of God. It is, it is a hard calling to love like Christ called. You could not do that on your own, but I want to show you the goal over and over again in Scripture. There's this way of living that is foreign to the world. They, they don't see it. But I hope you do. Would you bow your heads with me just for a second, close your eyes, and just, I want you to think about, think about your own heart. As, is it calloused? No judgment, but let's speak the truth. Has your heart grown callous? Is there some deadness piled up there? Is there some corruption? Maybe that little spot of rust that's creeping across the metal or little spot of mold that's going to ruin the whole loaf. If you see that, if you've been recognized on that, I want to pray for you. Is that anybody in here that says, you know what, my heart's grown calloused? Amen, there's some people that are honest. It's gone cold. There's, there's some things that aren't right. Amen. 
Lord, change us. Soften our hearts. Help us to be tenderhearted. God, take away the dead callous, if any have grown in our hearts. God, if there's any corruption there, cleanse us into us. Titus talks about the washing of regeneration through the Spirit of God. Let your Spirit wash us. Just come in and just wash us clean. Make us new. Help us to live the way you've called us to live. To live well. To love well. To imitate our Father as beloved children. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. 